with our model, I put one senior person there with the backup of senior and then whoever. And the beauty of the system we've got at the moment is I don't have to do very much at all because I've got a system now which fills the shifts for me. Um, what do I like to be? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, so we started off with uh, spreadsheets and you, you put names in and you start thinking, oh, can I put this person with this person? And will that work? And actually now we've sort of got it more automated. Uh, I'm not thinking at all. I design it. It pops out. I had some sleepless nights wondering whether that would work or wouldn't work. And it's working very straightforwardly now. So no, I don't plan that. Yeah. Um, I keep an eye on it just in case there's one clinic that's full of um, uh, people that are going to be super speedy so we can um, perhaps push us through a few more through or, or some that might be, mm, we, we need to be a little bit cautious about numbers. Um, but generally it just works itself out and it's so nice not to have that uh, worry now. Welcome to the Shifts Happen podcast. We're your co-hosts, Lucy Whittington and Scott Irwin from High Hand, having conversations about workforce planning and managing flexible teams to see how shifts happen in different circumstances. For us, dynamic staffing is key to having a flexible, engaged, and productive workforce. And we invite you to join us as we talk to people-powered business owners, those working in large organizations, along with commentators and consultants about the future of work and workforce planning. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Richard Barkley, Clinical Lead for Network 4 PCN, a group of four GP practices in Bristol and Southwest England. Our focus on this episode is how Richard had brought together staff from four practices alongside new team members and volunteers to deliver a COVID vaccine clinic. And while he might play down his achievement and call it a factory, it's actually cleverer than a production line. Um, he's got an eye from the outset on what building something now can mean for building for the future. He shares his operational approach to bringing a diverse group of people together to work shifts that deliver a great result. Richard knows that goodwill would be in abundance at the outset of this vaccine initiative, but also this is a long-term project that could test that goodwill. Key not to rely on that overly overworked team members, he built avoiding this burnout into his master plan. He's built out a big pool of flexible workers and has actually asked them to work short shifts, one of many of his forward-thinking ideas. Listen in to hear more about how Richard thought for the long-term in the midst of a short-term urgent situation and stopped thinking like a small shopkeeper and became a factory foreman instead. And also listen out to hear about a very special person that his team served on Christmas Eve. Clue, that one might give it away just a little. Richard, congratulations again to you and the team on a couple of major milestones this last uh, week. A, being part of the overall 15 million jabs by February 15th, and B, hitting 10,000 within your own site. Um, how does it feel? <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Yeah, um, a mixture of exhausted and exhilarated, I think. Uh, it, the one very nice thing about this, whilst it's been busy, is... Um, it's a tremendously practical thing to be part of, and uh, anyone that's got involved um, really has had a sense of doing something useful. Um, because at the end of the day, the thing you've had generally 
more people have been vaccinated and that feels it's, it's very practical very nice thing to be part of actually it's great mm. and and one thing that's been i think intriguing to me about the uk model in particular is that it really has been gp you know primary care physician led i think oh i've seen a stat over 75 percent of the doses have been given which is quite a different say from a, the united states or other countries you know why do you think that local uh, approach has been so successful as i assume you probably do <laughs> well in many ways i think it's it's remarkably obvious is because we do it anyway um and so if you look at flu vaccines or uh, cervical smears or other things where we're doing popular big population things what what actually happens is we have these thousands of uh, networks across the country which all in their own way are, are meeting the needs of a small population um and that network is the strength i think um and if only we could utilize that more um i think this has been a great way to demonstrate that those networks are incredibly flexible um and we, we've, we've turned our hand to it. I, I don't know if the self-employed status and the drive of multiple small businesses doing things rather than corporate business doing something is is another interesting angle on it. Um, but as a small shopkeeper, as we are, um, you know, you know what your business does and you can turn it around quickly. So uh, lots of us doing that all together has made a massive difference. Um, but we're doing that every day with all sorts of other things. So it, it, it seems complete common sense to us but that common sense doesn't always happen so what's so it's, great. it's been there, great to see it happen you mentioned that like you know you're used to doing this and you know you run the flu clinics and and you know other clinics all the time what have been what's been different about doing the vaccine rollout in terms of kind of setup logistics maybe staffing and what's what's been the same what made you immediately go okay we know how this works we're going to do this but what did you then think OK, but it is a bit different if it was. So I think the, the sameness is that we do vaccinations all the time, children, adults, uh, whether that be shingles or flu or meningitis. That's naturally part of what we do anyway and achieve high proportions of population vaccination anyway. So why wouldn't we do the next vaccine? Um, the difference to this is uh, being the difficulty with logistics uh, particularly the transporting and delivery uh, and the unsecure supply, which has meant for a lot of uh, timing issues for us, uh, which, which has been tricky. And the other thing that's been very different for us, uh, some PCNs have been working together in groups for quite some time, whereas uh, my PCN um, has been, is relatively new, hasn't really had a, big project like this to work on but it's thrown us together and how can a group come together combine its workforce and deliver something overnight um you know really in a matter of weeks uh like this is, has been exciting and challenging um but mostly exciting and actually seeing people overcome those uh, barriers and the barriers you thought were there aren't there and people's flexibility and willingness to to really embrace something which is really quite scary when you think about it from an employment point of view um but we've broken through all that the shared staff have clubbed together 
shared each other's buildings, uh, all sorts of things, which I think you've perceived them as barriers. Whereas when sort of an urgent situation like this comes on, you just find ways around them quickly, like really quickly. Um, and that's been astounding. And really, again, I suppose, yeah, it's that it's that excited feeling uh, of actually, oh my gosh, why do we t- why do we take why do we make life so difficult so often? Um, because of the structures that we put in place. And, and if we can break those structures down, we can often find something much more flexible underneath it. No, agreed, agreed, agreed. And I think I like to push a little bit on there, Richard, just because you've gotten into some of the, what I call design decisions that, that in some ways were yours to choose given the nature of how decentralized this has been. And maybe just for some, Translation purposes, you know, PCN stands for Primary Care Network, which in, at least in, in the UK, and I'll explain this and you can kind of correct me, Richard, is in some ways a grouping of between, you know, maybe five and 15, you know, GP practices that has been brought together for some organizational purposes. But in this case is the unit with which these GP practices are banding together to, to deliver the vaccine. And so I suppose, you know, maybe thinking about venue, thinking about some staffing issues, or kind of set up and thinking about a couple different dimensions. Cause you kind of talk through how you as the PCN maybe chose a, a certain path at the outset and maybe some of the benefits that you, you see from that. So, yep. Um, our PCN is four practices, which uh, comprises about 68,000 patients. Um, PCNs were designed for uh, a new investment in primary care and been up and running for the majority for a couple of years now. Um, or just under a couple of years. So maybe on picking the, some PCNs, for instance, I know are, are hosting the kind of vaccine delivery within their four walls. Others have chosen quite, um, catchy, uh, shall we say venues like a race, a racetrack. You know, there's a quite a spectrum of where you can actually do this. You know, that, that's one of the dimensions. Maybe Richard on that point, you know, how you thought through, uh, through that decision. Yeah. So I was just going to talk about uh, the PCN structure. Um, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. I just got thought block, but bear with me. Um, so, uh, yeah, so PCNs were designed to be around, uh, around about 30 to 50,000 patients. Uh, so they'll often be around those sizes. Um, however, some are much, much bigger than that. Um, ours is probably slightly bigger than average at 68,000. Um, so yeah, when it, when this started, we we the, the, there was a the immediate sort of knee jerk approach, which is oh my god, we've got a lot of work to do. Let's club together, pop up a clinic, and just pull pull our sleeves up and work very hard. And you know we worked over Christmas and New Year, and that that was sort of mode there. But quite early on, we sort of thought, well, this is going to go on for months. Actually, this is not going to be over in a few weeks. So quite early on, we started to uh, develop this idea of a, a little vaccine factory in our PCN. Factory is probably not a great word, but it's the sort of term that stuck for us. Uh, because what we don't want to do is disrupt the normal day-to-day practice. You know, we were busy before COVID and we were busy before COVID vaccinations came along. And general practice has been on its knees in many, in many ways. Um, yet somehow we find this extra resource, but how are we going to stop people burning out? How are we going to try and keep the important day-to-day work going? 
where there's lots of very important health issues other than COVID that we're dealing with and often get forgotten, I think, amongst all this pandemic. Um, and people with real life um, serious health issues that we don't want to um, disrupt. So what I didn't want to do was create a system that was going to continually pinch and steal from that system. And, and we we started off quite early. Our, our site was a little bit limited in, in its size, and we thought that would be a handicap. And we thought, well, can we turn that into an advantage? And we, we very much started to think, well, let's build a, a small factory that will just churn out uh, quietly a lot of vaccine but not have these massive pop-up clinics where we're trying to beat a drum and say how many we can do in a day. It was more about quietly just making it routine and, and, and keep churning out, which on average will probably hit as much, if not more, than someone who's doing massive pop-up clinics at the weekend where they're just drafting together. So so we set out the idea we wanted to work six days a week. We wanted to work shifts that were doable, weren't going to burn people out. So three or four hour shifts, you know, maximum, not trying to do big, long 12 hour shifts. Um, and we try to protect it in a six day week such that we, again, we weren't driving people into the ground, giving them some chance to breathe. Um, because I think in a long term situation, people are going to burn out, are already burned out in many ways. Um, now, the other thing that really has encouraged me is the number of people that are out there that want to help. Um, so we've been overwhelmed by um, people wanting to volunteer, um, so for marshals and the sort of uh, shepherding, car parking, that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, people come out of the woodwork, all sorts of uh, volunteers, so generous with their time to come do that. And quite a lot of them, so much so that we can't actually get some of them any shifts yet because we've got too many <laughs> offering, which is an amazing position to be in. Um, and <clears throat> then, of course, vaccinators. Um, We've had, you know, quite a good uh, range of people coming forward uh, who are not practice staff. Uh, and we, we went out specifically to try and build a workforce um, that would work alongside our practices, where our practices would continue to support this. I don't want it to be divorced from it. I don't want it to be a completely separate service, but it would be uh, intermingled with our current staff. So we've got 20, 25 uh, non-practice vaccinators. We've got an admin team now built and a team leader, plus the 50 or 60 marshals that, that are doing it. Um, and then we're intermingling that new workforce, which we've now created alongside our practice workforce. Um, but now the draw on practices is, well, we're, we're last week, I think we had 60% of our staff were not from the practice. This week, it's almost 100% because we've had fewer clinics this week, but they've been pretty much 100% manned by non-practice staff. So um, we've, we're finding now we've got that capacity to, to, to go on and not, um, not deplete our practice teams. Hmm. That's fascinating, Richard. And what I'm hearing is, is what you've built is quite a resilient, um, if I could say the word system, which is quite a buzzword these days, but it strikes me resilient you know, both in, in sustaining um, your existing staff, but resilient to the point you made, you know, should this vaccination program not just be the one-off sprint, but as it increasingly looks likely, um, at least something to last this year, if not longer. 
Yeah, and I think that was sort of on our minds quite early on is that um, you, it's great when people club together and they, they offer their time and they work weekends and evenings and all the rest of it. That's great for a period of time, but you cannot sustain that, um, nor would we want to sustain that. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been building that resilient team. It's been building that team that will just look after this job as part of their job. And actually there's lots of people looking for work and lots of people have been glad to be part. Um, it's amazing people that have been retired out of service. They're desperate to get back in. They've tried some of the national schemes, which have been somewhat clunky and somewhat bureaucratic to get part of. And unfortunately that's put a lot of people off. And a lot of people that we've had have said, look, I tried getting onto the national scheme. I just gave up because I couldn't see my way through the paperwork. And whilst we've had to do the same paperwork, we've done it in a bit more of a local way and, and just helped people uh, through that. So we've got a mixture of nurses, consultants, doctors, um, medical students um, vaccinating now, which is great. So it's a little bit of income for some people. Some people are doing it voluntarily completely for free. So real raft of people that it's it's. Um, it's humbling to be part of something like this because you, you see the good side of so many people coming out and being so generous. And how have you found them, the, you know, bringing a brand new team together, uh, like you said, from really different, um, you know, places and experience? You know, have they have you seen that workforce just immediately bond because of the situation? Uh, you know, has it been, uh, you know, or can you see people sort of training each other? You know, the students learning from the, the retired consultants and things like that. Has that has that added to it as well? Like having that mix, has it made it more interesting? It, it, it's been very interesting because, like you say, there's a mixture of years of experience in there and some quite new people. Some people that are very fast. Some people are more methodical than slow and just trying to map that against the throughput. Um, it's been great. But again, the, everyone that's come uh, says that it's a nice place to be because essentially people are very grateful and thankful. And we're lucky. You know, it's a, it's a nice job to do. We're, when you're there in the clinic, pretty much everyone is uh, um, coming grateful and thankful for coming in and unlike our normal job which is about dealing with people's problems and hearing how awful things are and how much pain they're in and uh, when things are going badly and how they can't get hospital. I don't I'm not hearing that you're hearing oh thank you I'm having my vaccine this is great thank you very much box of chocolates we've got we're drowning in chocolates and biscuits which is lovely and that's great Richard I'm sure people have plenty of rashes to share with you after this is over um indeed i no, no i'm joking i won't uh, i, I, I want to abuse our zoom privilege uh. <laughs> thank goodness this is audio only that's all i'm saying about that <laughs> um the, the word the words that a doctor hates the most i have this rash uh, no i <laughs> see that's the other interesting thing is actually uh getting some senior clinical staff so some you know senior GPs from other practices, senior nurses from other practices that really do the complex stuff a lot of the time. Actually, they're finding this quite uh, rewarding, uplifting to, to come. It's different from their day job. So even those who are busy doing the stuff, it's not just retired people. It's not just medical students. Actually, I think there's, there's a little bit of uplifting of people that do difficult jobs every day that are being part of this team. And seeing all that mix is really quite... Um, 
yeah, it's it's fun. I, I find it quite exciting, that sort of mix of people, mix of experience. But we're all doing one very simple job, which is stabbing people, um, which in itself is the very, very easy bit. The difficult bit has been putting the team together and the logistics of getting the vaccine. Um, uh, if we can do the, the logistics bit, the people uh, seem to be yeah, flying with it. And are you consciously mixing, uh, you know, when you're on, when you're putting shifts together, are you consciously mixing the different uh, skills, the different experiences, or are you just, you know, letting it land where it lands? Well, I, I we, we, with our model, I put one senior person there mm-hmm. with the backup of senior and then whoever. And the beauty of the system we've got at the moment is I don't have to do very much at all because I've got a system now which fills the shifts for me. Um, that could be. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, so we started off with uh, spreadsheets and you, you put names in and you start thinking, oh, do, can I put this person with this person and will that work? And actually now we've sort of got it more automated. Uh, I'm not thinking at all. I design it. It pops out. I had some sleepless nights wondering whether that would work or wouldn't work. And it's working very straightforwardly now. So, no, I don't plan that. Yeah. Um, I keep an eye on it just in case there's one clinic that's full of um, uh, people that are going to be super speedy so we can um, perhaps push a through, few more through or, or some that might be, mm, we, we need to be a little bit cautious about numbers. Um, but generally, it just works itself out and it's so nice not to have that uh, worry now. Mm. And Richard, it seems like this the extraordinary nature of this it has in some ways necessitated a a more flexible staffing model that um, you've been kind of discussing at length. Maybe discuss, you know, what, what lessons you might take away, you know, from that and then potentially any other applications you might see, you know, as and when we return to more business, uh, business as usual, if, if that is such a thing. I think that's one of the, as I'm, sort of as my head's clearing from the fog of vaccination and COVID and actually it's starting to feel like we are, um, it's not quite business as usual, it's almost business as usual again. Um, I I think that there's almost more excitement in me now thinking, well, what we made sound very difficult before because of very real reasons of employment, uh, barriers and different organisations learning how you can coalesce all that into one team very quickly is making me think, well, is this operating model going to be useful for other things as well? I think for us, we've got the immediate thing, which will be continue to vaccinate at pace for a number of months. Um, But having learned how to break down all those barriers, uh, I wonder what future there is for more joint working um, across the four practices. So we've got four practices. Currently, we've, I looked at the registrations. We've got about 140, 150 staff that have been through operating this. So we have between four and eight vaccinators at any one time and two admin staff and a team lead. But we've had 140, 150 people from those practices, um, plus the 50 volunteers and the 20 volunteer vaccinators. So we've had this couple hundred people probably operating this, all doing a few bits and bobs, but how that's created um, 
the, the, the factory that, that people drop in and out of. How that's opened my mind to thinking, well, a flexible workforce that you can pop up or create from a wide source of people that have already got the skills, maybe, or maybe you need some training, but essentially the job's relatively simple. How do you put a big cohort of people together to achieve a common aim? There may be lots of other applications. So uh, flu vaccinations, for example, maybe certain very specific things that we do um, under the NHS, maybe some health checks or um, checks for people with learning difficulties or some specific jobs that we do. There's this thing called the quality and outcomes framework, which is a sort of uh, a way that primary care is incentivized to achieve certain uh, functions. And it could be that some of those could lend itself to working as a group rather than trying to do it all individually and replicate it. Um, uh, or even there, there could be private opportunities as well, sort of doing medicals and uh, running services that, you know, we all do as small shopkeepers, but there might be opportunities for our business that's also um, outside of the sort of NHS work. I don't know. There's just so many things that you sort of see when you've done something like this. What else could this be applied to? And yeah, there's, there's, it seems like there's lots of opportunity rather than problems now, which is, which is interesting. So if you open up a chain of factories rather than lots of individual shops, you've, you've moved down the supply chain or up the supply chain. No, I wasn't thinking so much <laughs> a chain of factories. It was more like, well, you've got a little factory. What, what can we put through the factory? Yeah. Um, now we've got the model for working together and drawing from an outside workforce as well, how do we use that mm. immense flexibility to create solutions that before just seemed a bit too difficult to think about? Um, because, oh, hang on a minute, there's employment law. How are we going to get around that? Oh, that's the money that's complicated. How do we share the money on that? Because um, oh, you're going to have to think about this. You're going to have to think about that. And actually, we've done that. We've I've been lucky. I've had some great people to working alongside me, helping us solve those problems. And that has been hard, but now we've found ways through those and solved those financial, legal, employment type solutions. Suddenly that tool that you've got um, could be turned in many different directions. So not, not necessarily a chain of factories, but a, a flexible yeah. factory that, that does different things. <laughs> From the <laughs> same team. So, yeah. how, and how has that been received by, you know, the teams, the, the, these 150, 200 people that are coming from, you know, the different practices and the volunteers? Like, how, how have they responded to being brought together as a kind of a group effort? It's been lovely, actually, because I think as a PCN, we were, we, the, the board was formed and the board knew what it was doing, but the practice members, probably much less aware because their day job is in their practice and their focus is on their practice. But I've been surprised how many conversations I've heard about saying, oh, it's so nice to meet people from other practices and, and you know, the sort of conversations and idea exchanges and things that people meeting people from other practices, breaking down barriers, forming relationships, seeing that all that happen has been lovely. Again, there was a very clear common purpose here. So, 
it was a nice thing to 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 build it on. Um, I, I'm not sure we've got anywhere beyond just some vague thoughts about the next stage, but it's that's what I'm starting to think about now is uh, what the model that we've used to solve this problem um, suddenly might be a model that we could be using for many, many other areas. That's to be agreed. Clearly, that might not suit everyone's ideals, but we it's it's broken down and and proved that we can do it um which is which is i think the ideology of it is is certainly moved on mm, that's great richard and and this may sometimes recap some of what we've already discussed but if you were you know, advising a another you know, primary care you know, network if you will in a, a country that's soon to be uh, part of a, a vaccine rollout coming from the position of what I think is, is right in saying a, a world beating effort so far here in the UK. Um, would there be two or three pieces of advice uh, that you, that you would, you would share? I think it would be, um, I think the key thing is about people. Um, so this doesn't get done because you wrote a book, good protocol it doesn't get done because you had a good piece of kit it gets done because you you've got a lot of willing people and can you can you get those willing people into a form that um will be able to channel all that good intention um without completely exhausting people um I think there's always goodwill at the start of things. Uh, and I suppose my thoughts have been about beyond the goodwill phase when the honeymoon's over and this is just hard work and uh, people are exhausted. How will we sustain it? Um, so how do you get through the exhausting initial phase of where people are so generous to the point where actually that runs out to the petrol's tanks a bit empty have we built enough sustainability? So try and think a bit longer term than just a month or two, because this this is going to be six, nine, 12, 24 months. I don't know, but at least six to nine months. Um, and as you build it, can can you build it with something with something else in mind as well, such that whatever you're building, this isn't just going to be flopped down at the end of it and that was it. Thank you very much. And everyone goes home and you leave a sort of empty building walk away. Um, is it is it something that will transform how we work in the future? And if it is, then use this opportunity to break down some of those barriers that have uh, been not holding us back, but probably not allowing us to be as imaginative with our teams as, as we could be. Uh, and I think in the in the UK, particularly, we're, we're quite a, an exciting phase of collaboration again, where we've gone from competition and markets where that's being scrapped now. And we're back to collaboration and working with other providers and partners. Then suddenly this sort of joint working, which we've experimented with here, um, we should see a lot more of. And, and hopefully we've learned to break down all those very real barriers. And I don't want to pretend that not barriers, but they're all overcomable if you have a reason to overcome them and you've got someone that's willing. We've, we've had some people that have really helped us with the, 
again, I'll, I'll repeat again, but the legal and the financial and the employment bits, which, again, often in a leadership position, you can say, oh, we can do this, we can do that. Um, but actually, the hard work of actually getting over those really very serious legal and financial and employment things means someone's got to do a lot of hard work to, to make that happen. But actually, it can be done. Um, and, and once you've done it, it, it it opens up a lot. So I think for me, I'd probably say as a leader, um, listen to um, those around you who are managing and have to do a lot of that legwork and don't um, don't ride roughshod over it, which I know I'm guilty of in my enthusiasm and excitement to get to the next stage. I think you need also to make sure that you listen to those that are warning you of the issues and make sure you you give appropriate time to build that structure because once that you've built it then actually it becomes much easier if you continue to ignore it just my tendency it, it bites you on the bum and, uh, and and you do need to take that, that those sides along with your enthusiasm mm, that's great and richard i know you, you mentioned the team we should all, we'd be neglect to not uh, give acknowledgement to some of your fantastic colleagues uh Many of them are named Deborah or Debbie Richard, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I so I've got Debbies and Chris's, and yeah, I get lots of Debbies. Um, but yeah, I think having different people that focus on different things and got different strengths has been great. So I'm really lucky to have uh, a PCN manager who's who's been very helpful in making sure I've kept my feet on the ground from the. Uh, uh, the employment point point of view. I've had a finance guy that's been very helpful pulling the complexities of the finance list together. Um, and we've had IT people that have just been a bit more able to unwrap and help us start using the IT solutions that are out there. Um, so yeah, you need you need people who've got different focuses and they they're great. Great. Well, I think we're kind of nearing, nearing conclusion from, from, from my perspective. And maybe just one, one final question, uh, maybe I'm more on the, 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 the human side. Is there one particular individual? Maybe it's someone who's been vaccinated or maybe it's one of these, um, you know, team members that have joined you, if you will, from a, uh, a retired or kind of a student background or one individual or kind of any snapshot that, that to you is a highlight or symbolizes some of the, the spirit of what's gone on in the last few weeks in your practice. In, sorry, Scott, in terms of uh, some of the volunteers we've had. Yeah, or, or someone you vaccinated, any any story or any kind of someone who's been grateful or any any funny, funny stories from the factory floor. Um, well, I think two two people I haven't uh, two two people I haven't mentioned, uh, or three people I haven't mentioned. We, we've had clinical shift leads in uh, factory, which are, are the people that take responsibility, and uh, we were retired couple, uh, Janet and David, uh, uh, GPs, they've been absolute stalwarts bringing, I don't know, a sense of calm and uh, normalness and uh, to the operation. And, and they've been fantastic because they've been out of practice for quite some time, but they've just slotted back in. Uh, and we've also had uh, a nurse who has retired about six times from my practice. Um, and she's back again. Um, Claire, who just has been an absolute rock 
in terms of uh, bringing that some senior people in, and, and by having the senior sort of clinical level, that's been great. In terms of uh, some interesting people that have come through, we had Father Christmas come through just just uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, the day before Christmas Eve, I think it was. We had Father Christmas come and get vaccinated. Well, my daughters, thank you, Richard. You, you're you're a hero, even more so now. <laughs> well, it was very important to get through. So uh, so we had a we had a local GP that um, his vaccination centre in the in the early throes of the um, pretty traumatic logistic. Uh, storms that happened to start with he had 1200 patients booked in and then they cancelled his delivery and so him and his team had set up his team to go ahead he bought a santa suit because he was going to be um uh, vaccinated his team um and unfortunately uh, all that got shelved and cancelled which was devastating the week before christmas so uh, we got him across in his santa suit and at least we vaccinated Santa in our place. So Santa still got vaccinated. So we saved Christmas. That was that was our claim to fame. Very important. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Richard. Really grateful for the time and uh, and fantastic to hear more about the important work uh, that you're doing. And we're feel privileged to be a small part of uh, a part of what's going on at, at Network Four. So thanks so much. It was great to hear about Richard's long-term thinking to what was, as we've discussed, quite a short-term, urgent situation. By thinking flexibly from the outset, he set up an operating model that can run and run by the time we're on, what, our, our, our sixth or seventh booster of this vaccine, Lucy? 2023? Count me in. <laughs> it's also interesting to hear that it was the prompt that he felt was needed for these PCN practices, these groups of practices to start doing hard things together and start actually collaborating, breaking through those legal, financial and IT challenges. And now that they are collaborating, he sees a huge potential in terms of economies of scale and collaborative opportunities, new clinics and services that can be easily delivered as a group. And of course, we're delighted that Higher Hand has played a small part in making this collaboration work and also that it's made new ideas easier to imagine and implement. Yeah, the key takeaways for me in terms of building a flexible team um, was that Richard thought outside, not, not the box, but, you know, he's outside his current staffing as far as possible, you know, understanding that asking he's already, you know, under pressure and overwork team to work even more hours. He really thought about that long term sustainability um, and, and avoided his existing team on a path to burnout. So hiring those new part time team members and also making the best use of volunteers and not just asking them to work part time, but asking everyone to work short shifts as well. Um, and it was also good to hear that rather over-engineering the shifts in terms of who worked and trying to really <laughs> overthink who should be working together, he just let that true collaborative mix come together of experiences and team members. And he's, he's really seeing great results from letting people just share their talents and work together. Doing the hard work now and thinking ahead have definitely paid off for Richard and Network4. And I think it's a really great model for others to work from in healthcare and other industries too. joining us for another episode of the shifts happen podcast there's more episodes where this came from with more conversations about making people powered work work better if you'd like to ask us questions or have suggestions or would like to hear a feature in a future episode do drop us a line or if you think dynamic staffing is something you'd like to explore for your own organization we're always excited to have the conversation 
Find out more and get in touch on the higherhands.co.uk website or find us both, Lucy Whittington and Scott Irwin, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.